Hi everyone and welcome to Oscar Wilde After Dark, a bonus series where we discuss the wilder side of Oscar nominees and winners. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rohrkraut. And today we are continuing our May Dunaway series with an episode called Faye Goes to Camp, where we will be talking about two of her campiest features, Mommy Dearest and Supergirl. This really is such a turn for Faye, not for the better, but she is committed. And I think I'll reiterate that multiple times today. It's that maybe these movies have their faults, but Faye is giving it a 10 all the time. And I think the stories from Onset mirror that. But they are fun movies, no matter how bad the scripts are or what is happening. I'm excited to talk about these today. Yeah, I I actually can't wait. I think that, yes, like you can say Mommy Dearest has its flaws. Supergirl has plenty of flaws. But Faye and her performances are not a part of that conversation. They are, I think, very successful. I love Campy Faye. She is just not afraid to take risks and to just go for it. And it's so funny because... I mean, obviously, I love Network, I love Chinatown, I love Bonnie and Clyde, those three Oscar-nominated roles of hers and those movies, but watching Mommy Dearest and Supergirl this week made me realize, like, oh, Faye is the one. She is my favorite actress, period. (laughs) You doubling down after reading about all of these actors on set saying that she's the worst person to ever work with, like... You're, you're just as committed care. as she is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I am fully committed to Faye Dunaway. I just, I'm obsessed with watching her. Even when she's playing evil characters, when she's playing villains, I find something in her performance that I think is worth celebrating. Mommy Dearest in particular, that isn't even, I mean, the conversation around that, we could spend this entire episode on Mommy Dearest, I think let's just get right into it because this is going to be the more complicated movie, I think, to talk about of the two and certainly one of the most well-known performances and films of her career. So Mommy Dearest from 1981, description here in this biographical film, glamorous yet lonely star Joan Crawford takes in two orphans and at first their unconventional family seems happy But after Joan's attempts at romantic fulfillment go sour and she is fired from her contract with MGM Studios, her callous and abusive behavior towards her daughter Christina becomes even more pronounced. Christina leaves home and takes her first acting role, only to find her mother's presence still overshadowing her. This was directed by Frank Perry and stars Faye Dunaway, Steve Forrest, Diana Scarwood, Mara Hobel, Xander Berkeley, and Rutanya Alda. For awards, Faye was actually runner-up for Best Actress at the New York Film Critics Circle and the National Society of Film Critics, but this movie, I think, is more well-known for its Razzies. I hate the Razzies. I've been on the record about hating the Razzies many times. I find them to be... They're very mean-spirited. They're often sexist, but at the Razzies, Mommy Dearest won Worst Picture, Worst Actress for Faye, Worst Supporting Actor for Forrest, Worst Supporting Actress for Scarwood, and Screenplay. And the screenplay itself I feel like is interesting because this is based on 
Mommy Dearest by Christina Crawford. So it's based on that expose of Joan Crawford through her eyes. So I think just to start out, when were you introduced to Mommy Dearest? When did you first see it? How many times have you seen it? I had seen it before, probably in school. I don't remember when. And I don't necessarily look back on that poorly or fondly. Like, I I think it was just something I watched and not knowing the histories behind it. Or, you know, we just talked about Mildred Pierce. So looking at that movie almost as an extension or a parallel to this one is really interesting because there are details that line up pretty well. But also about Joan Crawford and MGM and her leaving and then getting the Oscar and being there Mm -hmm. on Oscar night giving her speech. So it's like, it is really cool how it weaves in real historic events And then I think it goes a bit outlandish. Christina has said, like, this was deplorable. She didn't like the film's depiction of Joan. The whole wire hanger scene, that was not real. So it's like, where did this come from? But I think overall, it's a good movie. It's fun. It's original. Yes, the script is awful. But I feel like it does a good job at balancing the good with the bad. So it's like, wait, is this movie good is Mm -hmm. it awful but there are good things about it i'm not sure i'm in like a firm love or hate but i would rewatch this over and over and over it's in like that weird category (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely so i first watched mommy dearest when i was homesick from school like i was really young and i remember this was always on tv so much so that i think i thought it was like a tnt movie like that it just belonged there. <laughs> and it was actually, regrettably, my first introduction to both Faye Dunaway and Joan Crawford. So I saw Mommy Dearest before I had seen anything else by either of those actresses. And I grew up watching TCM, wow. too. So I had seen Joan Crawford movies early, but this was the first movie that I had seen that really introduced me to either of those actresses. So for me, Faye Dunaway and Joan Crawford have always sort of been intertwined, not interchangeable, but certainly intertwined. I I almost think of them as the same person or as an extension or of Faye as an extension of Joan. And part of the reason why I like this movie and I like talking about this movie is because for me, it's impossible to separate the two in that Faye Dunaway and Joan Crawford are two of the greatest actresses of all time who have ever graced the screen. They have movie star qualities. They were very dedicated to their work, yet they had thorny, complicated personal lives where they mistreated people, for sure, and that has been well documented, and you can't really separate that from their performances. And you can try, and you can say, you know, this is, like, we talked about Bonnie and Clyde and how amazing Faye was in that movie, and we talked about Mildred Pierce last week and how we, how much we love Joan Crawford in that. But at the end of the day, their careers were changed forever and their reputations have been affected by how they treat people on set. And for Joan, how she treated her children, for Faye, it's how she treats the public or her staff, her co-stars. These things have really affected, I think, the ways that people think of them. Mm-hmm. When you hear Joan Crawford... You can think of Mildred Pierce, sure, but most people think of Mommy Dearest before they think of her winning an Oscar for Mildred Pierce. 
And I think the same goes for Faye Dunaway. You can think of how incredible she was in Chinatown, but I think most people think of her yelling at people and her messing up the Oscars and her just being this agent of chaos. So I think it's interesting in that way to see how Faye ended up playing Joan and this portrayal of Joan that is pretty vicious and looks at a very dark but vulnerable side of the star. And what I loved from, you know, doing research on this movie was that Joan Crawford actually believed that Faye was the most talented actress of her generation and the only one to come after her with movie star qualities. I wonder if she would believe that if she were alive to see the movie (laughs) still, but I think it's interesting that they sort of are spiritually connected to each other, how Faye was method for this movie and she said she felt haunted Mm -hmm. by Joan. Like, it's it's cool, I think, to think about. I don't know. I just, I love the lore and the mythology around Mommy Dearest. And I completely agree with you. You don't really know if this movie is good, if this movie is bad. The screenplay is atrocious. I agree. And I think a lot of that, though, comes down to so many competing ideas from different people who were involved in this production on how they wanted Joan to be portrayed what they Mm -hmm. wanted this movie to even be. I mean, it seems like they wanted this movie to be your, like, standard Oscars prestige drama biopic. And in a way, the terrible script isn't that different from something like The Eyes of Tammy Faye or Respect or Judy, these bad biopics that we get Oscar season. But what I firmly believe is that Faye Dunaway gives a performance that outshines any of those performances that we've seen, especially recently. So it's hard for me to accept the vitriol that she got for this performance because I think it's I think it's wonderful. I'll defend it forever. It's just really surprising and interesting to me that Faye looked at the script and thought it would be a quote window into a tortured soul and we would unravel the depths of Joan Crawford. And the fact that she didn't see any of what they filmed coming is just a little shocking based on what she'd done previously. I, yeah, I mean, I, I think though that what Faye does in the movie that's actually really smart is that she interpreted this project and this role by considering the source material in that it was an over the top expose from Christina's perspective. And what I really like about Faye's performance is that she feels like she's in a horror movie and showing us how Christina would feel about her mother doing those Mm -hmm. things to her. I don't know. I mean, it's tricky, though, because I do think maybe I'm just too far gone when it comes to Faye. Honestly, it's probably possible. But I could see, I mean, today, like, people win Oscars for stuff like this. She took it to the level where it, and I mean, I think everyone involved sort of took it to a level where it became camp, whereas today the biopics that we see don't go to camp. They're just boring or Wikipedia pages. I think the reason it became camp was because of how disjointed it feels, how conflicted everything feels on screen. And I don't know if that's possible to necessarily know from dailies or from looking at a script or, you know, showing up on set and being method as Joan. (laughs) But I would think... Looking at the script, for me, like, this spells Oscar. 
you're playing a famous person, you are giving this look into this woman's soul and who she is and like exposing this darker side of fame and vanity and relationships between mothers and children and those types of performances often win Oscars. This is just a case where it went horribly awry. I don't know though. I stand by it being like one of the best biopic performances that we have. And half of these biopic performances that win Oscars would dream that they were as good as Faye Dunaway and Mommy Dearest. So let's get into our next Razzie movie that we're talking about. (laughs) This is Supergirl from 1984. Description here. After losing a powerful orb, Kara, Superman's cousin, comes to Earth to retrieve it and instead finds herself up against a wicked witch. This was directed by Jeannot Swark. It stars Faye Dunaway, Helen Slater, Peter O'Toole, Hart Bachner, Mia Farrow, and Brenda Vaccaro. And like I said, this was up for multiple other Razzies. Faye was nominated for Worst Actress, and Peter O'Toole was nominated for Worst Actor. I mean, his name is Zoltar, which we can get into in a second. I can't wait to talk about Zoltar. <laughs> But yeah, I guess let's get into the movie. This was my first time. Had you seen this before? I can't remember if you said on the pod or not that you hadn't seen the whole thing. I had not seen the whole thing. I had only seen bits and pieces of Supergirl. So this was my first true viewing of the movie. And wow. (laughs) This is a camp extravaganza, camp spectacle. And it is what comic book movies should be. I'm not even kidding. I love how it does not take itself too seriously. It is funny. Like, the production design is so 80s. Mm-hmm. And it looks like it was made for $10. I just I love it. <laughs> it is way too long. This movie does not need to be over two hours. I paused it, and we were 45 minutes in, and I was thinking we were close to the end. Oh my god. There are so many things. Like, the effects are bad. In the trivia, there's a fact where I guess her picture was, like, taped onto a wooden backboard and pulled by a wire, which you can see in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. One of Peter O'Toole's first lines as Zoltar. I don't even know what he's doing. He's using his magic wand making something. And she goes, what is that? And he goes, a tree. She goes, a tree? What is a tree? like oh my god this is where (laughs) we're starting from (laughs) it starts in a really really tough way like it just it looks like low budget sci-fi mia farrow shows up Mm -hmm. (laughs) what how much alcohol do you think peter o'toole (laughs) had consumed before shooting this scene i mean good for him again it's these acting performances where it's like these poor people, they're doing a great job at selling what they can. But does that make it good? <laughs> it's convincing in some way, shape, or form. If a flask fell out of Peter O'Toole's pocket during one of these scenes, I would not be surprised. It's like how he was drunk on the set of Beckett with Richard Burton. <laughs> this is that, just to another level. This is him getting home from the bar. This is him after a bottomless brunch and laying in the park. Like, that's that's what this performance is giving to me. 
I don't even think I knew about that from Beckett, but I mean, it would make sense here. The exposition they have to explain to us in the beginning, there's so much. We have the, she's traveling through the binary shoot. Oh, she'll be safe. And we have this other planet. We have this orb, this thing that spins and emits energy and how it flies out after Kara has made this dragonfly that mm-hmm. makes it fly out of their bubble that they live in. And there's just so much. And then she flies and, oh, she's in Chicago. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> it's also at first like such a nondescript city. I'm like, where are right? you? Right. Well, she's but... flying through like the waterfalls and the there's like this big park and forest and then she's in Chicago. It's like, okay, great. You've traveled all of <laughs> no Earth better place in to two stop. minutes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. And so Faye in this movie, I think, is just so perfect as Selena. If I would have watched this movie as a little kid, I would have been obsessed with her. Like, even more than I am today. Her costumes, her rings with the red nails. I'm like... I want to be her for Halloween now. No one would understand, but that's okay. It's like, it was popping into my head. I was like, oh my God, I need all of her costumes. I want to start dressing like this more than I already do. So I I felt like this was just, this is such a fun role for Faye. Mm-hmm. And I love how she's just this witch who is sort of more concerned with the men around her and with getting power but she's not, like, particularly good at being a witch. Like, she is at parts, but she isn't anything special. She's not, like, the world's greatest witch who lives in this beautiful castle or anything like that. Like, she lives in an abandoned carnival. Yeah, I was like, where are we? We're in, like, Beetlejuice. She has this trolley. Like, where are we? And then we go outside, and it's literally in a haunted house ride. I'm like, What? Yeah, I have no idea who made that decision, but I I love it. I love that she just, like, never really knows what she's doing. She just has her tarot cards with her and making her little spells, trapping spiders. I just, she is such a fabulous villain, and I want to see my villains with red manicures trying to trap groundskeepers on college campuses. <laughs> her character arc, though, is so bizarre. So they're in this park and the orb flies into her coffee or whatever, Mm -hmm. her soup. It's great. Again, horrible effects here. But then she just realizes what it is, starts doing these incantations, asks to be immortal. Mm -hmm. And then she goes home and, yeah, starts making this witch's brew. And I'm like, whoa, like, how do you know all this? This is not how your character was introduced. All of a sudden, I feel like she just becomes somebody totally different. Yeah, the character arc itself doesn't really make sense. I feel like it's just sort of like, all of a sudden, she has the opportunity for more power. So she takes it. But she's never exactly been like a good person. She's always taken Mm -hmm. advantage of people, I feel like. I think before we get into our questions, we can run through the Oscar connections piece. So for this movie, we have kind of a surprising amount. For what this is. So we have Faye Dunaway, of course. We have Peter O'Toole, who has eight Oscar nominations and an honorary award. Not for this, of course. 
Um, we have Jerry Goldsmith, who was the composer. He has 18 nominations. He also scored Chinatown with Faye, and he won for The Omen. We have Brenda Vaccaro, who plays Bianca. <laughs> she has an Oscar nomination for Supporting Actress. Timothy Burrell, who's a producer. He has one Oscar nomination for Picture for Tess. Peter Young, who's the set decorator. I love how we have an Oscar-nominated set decorator here designing face space. <laughs> he has two wins for art direction set decoration for Batman and Sleepy Hollow. Oh, my God. It makes so much sense that a Tim Burton right. collaborator. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I love that connection. I think that makes so much sense for Beetlejuice as well, that comparison that you mm-hmm. made. Which makes me want to see Catherine O'Hara in the Selena role now. Not instead of Faye, but I feel like she could do a good job. I think she would also be a really good Bianca. Mm-hmm. I was trying to think if you did this today, like who would you put in or who are some other other examples of people. I kept thinking of Jennifer Coolidge oh. as Bianca. <laughs> <laughs> the one surprising casting note that blew me away was that Dolly Parton was offered the role of Selena before Faye, and she turned it down for Unreal. $7 million. That is crazy. I totally agree because... I just won. It's so different. It would have been even campier I was like, with Dolly Parton as <laughs> yeah. Selena. What movie were they trying to make? But also she said no because she couldn't play a witch. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. <laughs> Meanwhile, Faye is like, sign me yeah. up. This is my real life, people. It's like Wicked Stepmother, mirror, mirror on the wall. Oh my God. Again, like any role that Kate Blanchett has had, Faye Dunaway could have. That was a clip from our recent episode in our Oscar Wilde After Dark series on Patreon. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode with our full reviews of Mommy Dearest and Supergirl, you can subscribe at patreon.com slash Oscar where we have an entire bonus series dedicated to, as we like to say, the wilder side of Oscar nominees and winners. Thank you all for listening. If you like our show, please feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wilde Pod. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we will be closing out our May Dunaway series for the month of May with The Thomas Crown Affair and The Towering Inferno, which will be a first time viewing for me. I'm intrigued only because it was up for so many Oscars. Yeah, so many. And it's part of this like 70s disaster movie craze. Mm-hmm that was happening at the time yeah i'm excited for like more drama thriller Faye. i guess we are getting those here going to camp with her but they are going to be very different so i'm excited to yeah keep talking about her filmography now we're what four down your letterboxed end of the year stats will be all literally all i'm thinking of (laughs) (laughs) it's like Faye's gonna be my number one thanks for listening we'll see you next time (laughs) 